0: Welcome to the McQuaid Arcade Podcast. I'm Scott, a.k.a. Barney. Our old pal Biggs will be back with us for our next episode. But in the meantime, I thought I'd record a special little bonus episode of the show to celebrate with you, dear listener. The 40th anniversary of one of my favorite games of all time. I think it's one of the best games ever made. It's objectively one of the most important games ever made. It's a game with a very interesting story and history behind it. It's Donkey Kong, released by Nintendo 40 years ago back in 1981. Now, this game single-handedly saved Nintendo of America from financial ruin, and it paved the way not just for Nintendo's arcade success in America, but also their revitalization of the American home video game market a few years later as well. As I said, there's a great story behind Donkey Kong, and it's a story that actually begins with another game called... Radar scope. Radar scope was one of Nintendo's first real arcade hits in Japan. It wasn't a Donkey Kong-sized blockbuster, but it did well enough in Japan that they figured it could be a great way to break into the American arcade market, where other Japanese game companies were making money, and Nintendo hadn't really been able to, to get a foothold here yet, the way those other companies had after a successful test run of the game, like a limited test run in Seattle, Minoru Arakawa, who was president of Nintendo of America, which was a very small, newly formed subsidiary of Nintendo, he had the parent company send 3,000 units of the game Radar Scope for American distribution. He went all in on Radar Scope. And unfortunately, partially because Nintendo of America's first office was in New York, those arcade cabinets took almost half a year to get to them by sea from Japan. And by the time Radarscope was actually ready to make its big official American debut in November of 1980. Nobody cared anymore. Nobody cared about it. It was old hat as they say. Nintendo only managed to sell a third of those machines to pretty lukewarm reception. Leaving them sitting on 2,000 arcade cabinets that nobody wanted. Their big ticket into the American market had bombed. Arakawa turned to the CEO of Nintendo, the man who appointed him to head up this new American division, the legendarily shrewd Hiroshi Yamauchi, who also happened to be Minoru Arakawa's father-in-law, which I'm sure made the whole situation a little more awkward. But family parties were a little weird for a while. Arakawa turned to Yamauchi for help. He asked for a new game to be created, one that would not just... Appease the fickle American audience, but just as importantly, it would be able to utilize all of that radar scope hardware that filled their warehouse. Yamauchi searched his company for someone, anyone, with a fresh game idea to save Nintendo of America, and he found it with a young staff artist named Shigeru Miyamoto. Now, we've talked about Miyamoto before on the show, how incredibly beyond influential he has been to the world of video games. Now, he would go on to eventually create some of the biggest and most acclaimed games ever made. But back then, he was a young staff artist at Nintendo. He'd never actually designed a game before. I was reading about Donkey Kong, and someone referred to it as the ultimate outsider game. And it reminded me, you know, being the sophisticated and cultured gentleman that I am, I became familiar with the concept of outsider art when I first saw the episode of The Simpsons where Homer tries to build a barbecue pit and inadvertently becomes like this hot new outsider artist. That's kind of what this is like. I mean, it's not. I'm not saying that Miyamoto is an idiot who made a big pile of garbage that someone considered art, but it feels like this whole thing was approached as someone not part of the scene. A game designed by a a then non-game designer, and I think that's why it's so special. Miyamoto saw himself making toys, but when he joined Nintendo... It was moving on to arcade games, first with electromechanical games and then full-fledged video games. Now, as someone who had never created a game before and didn't really know anything about making one, he was supervised on Donkey Kong by veteran Nintendo engineer and designer Gunpei Yokoi, the amazing guy who invented the, the D-pad. You know, every video game controller had the D-pad style cross pad. Uh, he invented that. He invented the Game & Watch, which is a series of handheld games, the Game Boy, the classic game series Metroid, all Gunpei Yokoi. And it was Yokoi who actually brought Miyamoto's idea to Yamauchi, his idea for this new game. But the original star of that game was not originally a gorilla. It was, in fact, supposed to be a certain spinach-loving sailor man. Nintendo at the time was a Popeye licensee. They were making Popeye playing cards and Popeye for the game and watch. And that's what initially gave Miyamoto the idea to make a Popeye game. He had several ideas doodled out. And when Yamauchi needed a new game that was going to rescue Nintendo's hopes of finding success in America, Yokoi told him about Miyamoto's ideas. And one of them was approved. But it didn't work out. uh, Not as originally planned. Sitting down to talk to Satoru Iwata, who became CEO of Nintendo after Yamauchi retired in 2002. Shigeru Miyamoto discussed with him Donkey Kong's origins as a Popeye game. Iwata says, originally, it, Donkey Kong, was going to be a Popeye game. And Miyamoto says, that's right. But while I can't recall exactly why it was, we were unable to use Popeye in that title. I really felt like the ladder had been pulled out from under us, so to speak. And then we thought, why not come up with our own original character? So next, we began to flesh out the idea for a game based on the concept we had come up with apparently he really liked the the love triangle angle of Popeye of course in Popeye we have Bluto Popeye and Olive Oil it was pretty easy conceptually to swap out all those characters for substitutes that Miyamoto came up with Bluto the antagonist is Donkey Kong the big gorilla Olive Oil became Pauline and Popeye became Mario Jumpman was actually his Original name and fun fact, he was a carpenter. Actually, I know we all think of Mario as a plumber now, but Miyamoto thought the whole carpenter thing worked with the the construction site theme of the game. He made a lateral career move to a different trade when the original Mario Brothers came out. He became a a plumber. Now, it sounds like an urban myth, but it has actually been confirmed by Nintendo, by Miyamoto himself, that Nintendo of America's landlord, Mario Segali, was in fact the inspiration for naming the character Mario. Apparently, he showed up one day to collect overdue rent, which I guess happened kind of frequently back then with Nintendo of America, and gave Arakawa quite the dressing down in front of his entire company. So, Donkey Kong and Mario, one of the most recognizable characters in the world, and not just video games, in general, one of the biggest characters in the world, came about because Nintendo couldn't get the rights to make a Popeye game. But Miyamoto did eventually get to make his Popeye game, which was released in 1982. After King Features Syndicate saw what a huge hit Donkey Kong became, they were like, hey, remember you guys wanted to make a Popeye game? And they did. And while it wasn't as big of a hit as Donkey Kong, it is just as charming and well-animated as you would imagine a Popeye game designed by Miyamoto would be. It's one of my favorites. So it's a great thing that it didn't work out the first time around because we ended up getting not one but two great games. So Donkey Kong was born and Nintendo set... Uh, sent conversion kits to America. And the tiny team at N- N- Nintendo of America, including Arakawa himself and his wife, apparently, got to work on switching out all of the, the guts and artwork for all 2,000 of those Radar Scope cabinets. And then the big moment of truth came. The team at Nintendo of America fired up the game and were just utterly confused by it. Everything about the game was strange, especially the name, which... Admittedly, it uh, makes zero sense. Yamauchi insisted that this game have an English title because it was supposed to be focused on success here in America. There are many stories and urban myths around the name of this game. Like it was supposed to be Monkey Kong, but there was a typo or a translation issue. Uh, Miyamoto was kicked in the head by a donkey while he was thinking... I have just made that one up. That's not a real one. I couldn't think, <laughs> I couldn't think of another urban myth. That never happened, but uh, there are a lot of stories about how it happened. From an interview at E3 2001, Miyamoto said, I wanted something to do with Kong, which kind of gives the idea of apes in Japanese, and I came up with Donkey Kong because I heard that donkey meant stupid. So I went with Donkey Kong. Unfortunately, when I said that name to Nintendo of America, nobody liked it, and they said it didn't mean stupid ape, and they all laughed at me, but we went ahead with that name anyway. They apparently put Donkey Kong uh, a cabinet at a local bar to test potential customers' re- reception to it, reaction to it, and were shocked by how much patrons loved it, how much money the game made in just a couple days. And from there, it went on to become Nintendo's first blockbuster hit and one of the most beloved games of all time. This was the first real platform game, the first platformer. There are a couple of precursors that I guess you could make an argument for as well, but this was the first real like, jump over stuff game for the first time ever, ever. Players can make a little guy jump over obstacles and gaps and maybe because it was dreamed up by a guy who loved cartoons, wanted to be a manga artist when he was a kid, but the game looked so different from anything else back then. It just had so much personality. Donkey Kong himself is so much more expressive than anything else we had seen. Miyamoto was the artist on this game, and his, and his style is apparent just immediately. And this game had a story. Cute little cutscenes where the story of the game kind of plays out. Pac-Man kind of did too, but these actually move the story along. It's just very clear that this game was conceptualized very differently than games normally were back then. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Donkey Kong not only brought Nintendo success in the arcades, but it truly paved the way for them to come swooping in and save the American home video game market a few years later. As we mentioned in our episode about the launch of the Nintendo Entertainment System from a while back, there basically was no home video game market in America, and had Nintendo of America not bounced back with Donkey Kong and earned Nintendo popularity in the States, they probably would have been done. They would have had to pull out, and who knows what that would have meant for the Nintendo Entertainment System. We got to see Howard Phillips speak a couple of years ago, and he was an early Nintendo of America employee, and... Eventually became their spokesperson. He started out in their warehouse and got to be one of the first people to see and test out new stuff. And when we saw him, he told us about getting his hands on the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Or maybe it was its Japanese counterpart, the Famicom. I don't quite remember. But he talked about playing it for the first time. And the first thing he did was play Donkey Kong on it. And right away, he knew this machine was something special because the game looked virtually as good as the arcade version. And none of the many, many other versions out there of Donkey Kong were even close. But it was incredibly popular. It was on a bunch of different systems. It was a big success for Nintendo. It was so big and so successful, in fact, that Universal Studios decided in 1982 that they wanted a little piece of the pie. They contacted Nintendo, claiming that Donkey Kong infringed on their King Kong copyright. They said that Nintendo had 48 hours to fork over every quarter they've ever made from Donkey Kong and destroy all their inventory Nintendo refused, and Universal sued. They also went after companies that were licensees making Donkey Kong for other video game consoles or making other various Donkey Kong-themed products. Now, some of these companies, including Atari, actually caved and paid Universal royalties. Nintendo discovered that not only did Universal not own the exclusive rights to King Kong, they knew they didn't. They actually fought to prove In another lawsuit that King Kong was, in fact, in the public domain. Nintendo won, and Universal's attempted shakedown of Nintendo and their licensees ended up costing them almost $2 million in damages and attorney fees. There were a couple of direct sequels to the original game, and I think they're both great. Like the original, they were designed and directed by Miyamoto and produced by Gunpei Yokoi. In 1982, we got Donkey Kong Jr., Miyamoto wanted to do something different for the sequel and have it star Donkey Kong this time, but because of his size, you know, how big he was on the screen, he knew you couldn't really use him as a playable character. So we get the next best thing. We get to play as his son, Donkey Kong Jr., complete with a little gorilla diaper and try to rescue his dad from Mario. It has a very different feel from the original, but it's definitely the same kind of game. Unlike the third game in the series, which I feel like most people don't even know exists, it's so radically different from the first two. It's, not, it's no longer a platformer. It is a shooter. You're Stanley the Bugman, and Donkey Kong is broken into a greenhouse, and you've got bugs coming down at you, and you've got to shoot the bugs and Donkey Kong. Excellent game. Again, I feel like most people don't know, to, don't know it exists. Very underrated sequel. As I believe I mentioned, I am a man of culture, and as such, I enjoy a good documentary film. And my favorite one is probably the 2007 documentary The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. It's a great movie about a uh, competition for the Donkey Kong high score. I highly recommend it. I also recommend that you tune in next time for the next episode of McQuaid Arcade, where again, my, uh, my partner Biggs will be back with us. We'll be talking about one of our favorite movies of all time. Thank you for joining me on this special little bonus episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. And we'll see you next time for more games, movies, tech, and toys from the 80s and beyond right here on McQuaid Arcade. For more fun from the 80s and beyond, be sure to follow at McQuaid Arcade on social media and join our mailing list at our website, McQuaidArcade.com, for info on upcoming episodes, live appearances, and more.